Folks, a quick message from our sponsors, Know Before. So what's a con game? It's a fraud that works by getting the victim to misplace their confidence in the con artist. In the world of cybersecurity, we call confidence tricks social engineering. And as our sponsors, Know Before, will tell you, human error is how most organizations are compromised. What are some of the ways organizations are victimized by social engineering? We'll find out here in just a minute. Now, our sponsors' questions about forms of social engineering come in this form. Know Before will tell you that there's human contact, there can be con games. It's important to build the kind of security culture in which your employees are enabled to make smart security decisions. To do that, they need a new school security awareness training. See how security culture stacks up against Know Before's free phishing test. Get it now at knowbefore.com forward slash phishing test. That's knowbefore.com forward slash fishing test. Now, no before wants to thank you for listening to the show and I want to thank them for sponsoring it. They are the provider of the world's largest security awareness and simulated fishing platform. Be sure to take advantage of their free fishing test, which you can find at knowbefore.com forward slash fishing test. Think no before for your security training. From the cyber hub bunker in studio. You're listening to the CISO Talk Podcast. No sales, no bullshit, just straight talk. Straight talk. And now for your host and CISO, James Azar. Alan Alford, we're a week doing? late, but nonetheless, we're back at it, buddy. How's it going? Good, man. I'm I'm floored with your intro, your music, your all of it, man. I'm jealous. Well, we'll make you one. Because Let's do it. Because you know what? We're we're in the same community. There's there's you know, someone asked me to go, why are you and Alan doing this? Aren't you guys competitors? And I was like, <laughs> no, man. No. Is you know, like we, we're trying to help the community as a whole. We're better off together than we are apart, man. I, I am confident some of your listeners will come over to me, some of my listeners will come over to you, some will stay with both. Whatever. It doesn't matter. At the end of the day, uh, we're both doing the same thing. We're trying to educate. We're trying to inform. We're trying to give back. Um, listeners are hopefully going to enjoy it. And uh, whatever, let's jam out, man. Let's jam out. Matt Lee, good midday, buddy. Thank you for being here. Um, comments AMA today. We're going to start talking a little bit about the White House Tech Summit yesterday on cybersecurity. I thought that was a very uh, uh, interesting event, right? Everyone was committing billions and billions and billions of dollars to cyber which I think a lot of the companies that were there already invest, if not in the billions, close to the billions. Right. So Yeah, Microsoft's, Microsoft's you know, it's interesting. They were bragging about what they're going to be throwing on the table, and, and those guys already spend ridiculous amounts of money on security. Um, I mean, Satya, I think her, their CEO said like three years ago, like Microsoft is a security company. We're no longer just a software company. Right. I, I, I don't know if I'm buying that. <laughs> So it's interesting. They're they're working hard to be, um, you know, to be this security company, and they're definitely touting them, touting that, and they're selling themselves that way. I, I would argue that they're still ultimately an ecosystem company. Um, security right. is definitely up and coming within their ranks of priorities as a company, as a business. Like you know, but they're still an ecosystem company who is starting to take security more and more seriously every day. I get that, um, but. Being a large ecosystem, they're a large attack surface, and as we also saw this week, um, there were some issues in the Microsoft ecosystem regarding security. I think everybody saw the news about the um, the Azure database customers, uh, their data being exposed, etc. As you make yourself a security company from an ecosystem play, it's not just about 
a tax surface and shoring up those deficiencies in my mind, but there's also the fact that you've got you've got a business pivot that you have to do. If they're going to call themselves a security company, they have to start putting security forward and not doing the ecosystem play. Because an ecosystem play to me is like buy into this little bit, and now you also need this little bit, and you need this little bit, and this bit only works with that bit. So once you're here, you're hooked, and you have to do this and this and this. And I still very much feel like that's their overall business strategy. And so security can't be the, the primary if their goal is get you hooked and get you into the ecosystem. That, that These are contradictory goals to me. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, Matt says, I love how no CISO was there to speak. That also was one thing I've noticed. There were no, like, I don't know, Jamie Damon could have brought Jason on. Like, those are, like, legitimate people. Like, Brett should have been there for Microsoft. Right. Like, why weren't those people there? Right, right. That's a really like, good point. Like, why weren't the CISOs in the room? Because it's not just about spend, right? Like, there's so much more to this. The one thing I saw that came out of Microsoft, by the way, speaking of them, was they were going to invest, I think it was five or six, uh, sorry, they were going to invest $20 billion over the next five years in shoring up their supply line. Mm-hmm. So they were mm-hmm. really looking kind of downstream ecosystem into the supply chain, yep. which, you know, I think is... Um, is the right move. That may have been one of the only statements where I was like, all right, that's been nailed on the head. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, you're going to shore up your supply chain. Mm-hmm. Brilliant. Because, you know, I'm not going to bring up solar winds because solar winds was not an ordinary yeah. vulnerability type of attack. Solar winds yeah. was a sophisticated nation state threat actors that yeah. went after solar winds for a purpose. So I'm not, yeah. I'm not going to hold, Solar winds. I don't hold solar winds to the same place that maybe I would put Equifax. Right, right. right. Well, and but look at look at Target. It was their AC vendor, right? Like right. like supply chain matters. We all know supply chain matters. One hundred percent, it does. Um, and folks are going to target supply chain. And if you're not emphasizing and focusing a lot of money on supply chain, you're definitely putting yourself at risk. Uh, for me, the biggest news in supply chain of late is is this trend towards S bomb, right? Like, like this is so exciting for me that, that, that supply chain is starting to take itself more seriously. Vendors that are part of supply chains are recognizing they're part of supply chains. They're starting to step up. And it's not just companies like Microsoft throwing that money back into their channel. Uh, it's the channel stepping forward and even offering things of their own volition. And to me, this is huge. This is a huge thing. And I know you and I have talked before about uh, shared responsibility model. When you were on my show, um, Cyber Ranch Podcast, you you talked about shared responsibility model, and we talked about some of these other aspects. But to me, S bomb is is probably the fact that S bomb is now a phrase we're all familiar with is really good news. I think for the whole industry. That, that to me, that's just that's one of my little happy moments every time someone says S bomb. So yeah, I agree. I think the other thing I would have liked to see come out of that meeting was the software nutritional facts. Yes. Right. Like that would have been a really good takeaway. I felt like that. I was waiting for that. I was waiting for someone to come out and say, you know what we're going to start doing? We're going to start putting in a software nutritional facts that's going to be on every contract or every SLA. It's going to talk about every repository we use or anything that's our technology is relying on so that the other side can also be aware of what's going on. So if that there's a, a, a patch, we can't patch. They know to prepare for it because yep. that communication chain's always broken. Yep. Our our mutual buddy Ross Young wants to see that for yep. the business itself, right? Wants to see a, yep. you're gonna do business with me as a vendor. Here's my nutritional facts. Um I think I think that's a hard sell. I think that's a hard road to 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 hoe. And the reason is um there's so much um vulnerability in in making that a public thing. 
imagine that you're a company who does have 90% of its security show together, but there's still this one area where you're focused on and you're working and you're getting this put together. And now you've got this giant public banner that says, attack me here. Um, that's the one flaw to me with that model is, is unless yeah. everyone's 100% perfect, all you're really doing is helping to arm the bad guys. So I, I don't want it to be public. I'm actually against the whole idea of putting it on your website. Mm -hmm. I'm all for putting it on a confidential contract between two parties. Right, right. right. Whether it be some sort of, uh, um, you know, kind of like take a take an S-bomb web page that, that you can log into, yep. right, and add the nutritional facts to that page and yeah, make yeah. that the fact sheet between kind of the two security teams that are really both trying to do their best to defend their organization. So, you know, Alan on one side, James on the other, you and I have a web page, right, that has our shared responsibility model. So that way yes. everyone knows what, who's responsible for it. Right. And right. Under that, we each have our nutritional facts, yep. right, which says these are the main components that power our technology. Yep. So that way you can go into that page and, and you can look at it and now you know, as you've got different people who are assigned to different projects, they become really aware of stuff that goes on and you're able to say patched needs attention. Mm -hmm. You can set an alert system in there for your BSO or your third, your vendor risk management team, yep, yep. right? Where there's a system in here that needs to be patched. That's critical. Great. Let's go to that system now yeah. and let's speak with that vendor. Let's get on a quick call or let's shoot right. him an email right. um, that says, Hey, where are you guys on this patch? Right. Um, here are some workarounds. Oh, it's going to be 90 days. All right, let's put in some workarounds. Yep, compensating controls. Yep, yep, yep. yep. No, I like I like it. I like it and having that having that be that dialogue, that private dialogue I think makes a lot more sense than than the public um cuz I I've seen calls for making it public. Um and and there's third-party brokers that that deal with some of this stuff and help create that private space for you already and there's yeah, I don't I don't I don't I try to avoid naming vendors on on the Cyber Ranch, but uh there's one company that I'm actually talking to and and starting to leverage their services in this regard that, that have set themselves up as kind of a it, – it's just a safe space for that clearinghouse idea that you're talking about. Uh, and you can also give them copies of, let's say, you've got your SOC 2 or your ISO or whatever you have, like all that available. And then when customers come to you, you just steer them to their repo and say, here's all my stuff right here. Here's yeah. Effectively, here's my nutritional facts. Here's my certifications. Here's my answers to the questions that you're going to ask me all, all in one tidy little package. We're not going to get into SOC 2. To do that, you got to go to the Cyber Range podcast and listen to my episode with Alan. Yes, yes. Do that because we're not going to do a repeat of that episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fair. Trigger. Fair, but fair, fair. I do want to yeah. get to some comments real quick. So let's do it. One, good day to David. Good day. Um, Bob says, good to see you both. Well, it's good to see you. <laughs> uh, <laughs> great to see you, Bob. Uh, David says, appreciate when you put on these talks. I think Alan and I have the same goal. We want to further the ecosystem, and the more we do it, if, if it gets more yep. people watching together, then by all means, that's our goal. Yep. Ecosystems means you have to deal with the risk of their supply chain. We talked about that. Absolutely. Matt was amending something either you and I said at one point. Yep. Um, Hans says, agree, CISOs are still not allowed to play at the adults' table. Yeah, it was interesting that that whole meeting took place without CISOs. That's a real good point. Like, where's, where's the people that do this for a living? Um, <laughs> I, I, wonder, I wonder if the CISOs were, like, in a side room, right? <laughs> Just, they're like, hey, so, we, brought you, we brought you guys hamburgers and hot dogs, and here's some fries. And <laughs> there's ice We're in here eating turkey and stuffing. <laughs> here's your hot dogs. Here's your chicken nuggets. Oh, that's brilliant. Oh. That's brilliant. Or, 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 or sitting around the edges of the room with their clipboards. 
having to take notes maybe like like congressional aides exactly yeah. exactly like congressional this, aides. this was in dc after all that's their model right yeah i agree um chris says good morning good aaron morning says, chris my man james good day good day to aaron matt says you have to live compromised because of a vulnerable will always be found and always be used in all software that is true i mean we always live that's what zero trust is all about right like assume right. breach so so we all i think every CISO lives with that assume breach mentality yep yep, yep. The, the 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 concept of a shared responsibility kind of open communication model is i know you're not perfect you know i'm not perfect let's not pretend that a soc 2 report's going to make us think that either one of us is perfect right and let's really start to get into the to the nitty gritty of how do we put in compromising uh, compromising controls to a co like an existing vulnerability? How do we maybe beef up you know security? How do maybe we look at our SOC team and say uh, if you see any alerts or see any activity that has these TTPs or IOCs that match with this vulnerability, take it very seriously. You know, like there's 500 different things yeah. one can do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and I've been I've been dealing with a lot, you know, the last live the last live podcast I did here in DFW, um, I brought some panelists on and we talked about minimum viable security and tactical frameworks. Um, and, and I'm experimenting with this even at the day job now at this point. Like I've gotten so excited about this idea that, you know, we all know these big bloated frameworks don't work. We all know that it's a huge overhead and a huge pain in the butt. And when it's all said and done, I slide it across the table and you still don't believe I'm secure just because I slid it across the table. Like, where's the utility? And um, NIST SP-1800-26 took CSF and cut it down to just the 33 controls relevant specific to ransomware. Their target right. was like, like ransomware is a real problem in the real world. Let's target in on that and let's try to come up with a micro framework or a tactical framework or whatever term you want to use. I, I don't know what term they use. Those are the ones I'm inventing. And let's try to get practical, right? Um, if you can bridge that gap between the obtuse, the the giant, the bloated, and the practical world of, of where it all meets. And to your point, zero trust, assume the worst, assume the bad thing is happening at all times, but why don't you meet the bad things where they live instead of like over here is these big frameworks and over here is the bad things, right? It just, there's a gulf that, that we all live in as CISOs that, that just drives me bonkers. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, we'll get to a few more comments here before we continue. I shared, uh, I heart the shared responsibility model combined with direct access to the open source vulnerabilities that are used as part of an attack vector. If you know what you have, you can know what your risk is. You can also yep. know what your mitigation is, right? Yeah. And yeah. I think that's that's a bigger piece from from that comment to me is I don't just want to know my risk. I want to be able to go to the business and say, vendor X has a serious vulnerability. Yeah. I'm not saying we should disconnect from vendor X. Here is our risk. Here's the mitigation. We need more yeah. money. Yep. Right? Because sometimes you need more money to do that. We need to bring an outside company to help us deal with this. We've got right. to hire right. two more bodies because this is not going to be a uh, yep. a short term issue. We have seven of our critical vendors or seven critical partners all share the same vulnerability. It's not very easy to patch because some stuff's just not easy to patch. Like, yeah. when are we going to admit it? Like, let's yeah. admit it that not everything is easy as update. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Any Anytime they wrote the software in-house, guaranteed it's still running on an antiquated OS and guaranteed nobody's around anymore that knows how to update it or upgrade it. All you can do is compensating controls, et cetera. And that, that's an internal problem. When you, when you extend that out to that vendor ecosystem, the the problem is is magnified exponentially, and, and it's it's funny you, you you bring up this point that you know CISOs should never be the ones knocking on the door upstairs and saying um, hey this vendor's got a vulnerability we're done 
We're not doing business with these guys. It's over. Cut them off. We're done. Like that's not like that's not what we do. And and what we can do is actually leverage those situations. To your point, we need money. We need people. I love nothing more than coming to the business and saying, I want to continue to facilitate and enable. I appreciate these guys are a, a super critical vendor. We found this thing. Let's work together to keep them in the ecosystem and shore up the deficiencies. And now you've actually increased your program. You've increased your efficacy. You've got more resources. You've got more bodies. You've got more money. Whatever it is, you're, you're, you're improving the security posture, and you're not telling the business no. And I know you and I are both big fans of don't tell the business no. It's a win-win. If you're yeah. tracking this stuff to that degree and your message upstairs is want to keep these guys in the mix because I know we need them in the mix, but, you know, that conversation is a win-win. It, it, can, it can only go well. Get a no jar, right? Yeah. Have a no jar. Right. And every and time just, you say no, you got to put a quarter in the jar. No, yeah. Put in a quarter, a dollar at this point with inflation, make it a dollar. Right. Uh, and, and just, you know, at the end of the month, the person who says the least amount of no's get the jar. Right. Or donate it to charity or use it to take the team out. I don't know, whatever. Yep. 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 Um, we've got an awesome comment for you. Alan Alford, love the podcast with the way companies are converting to API calls into their systems. How do you manage the passwords that are single use through throughout different third-party companies? Oh, that's a great question. Okay, so so how are we managing if it's all API and extensible? So you control what you can. Uh, it's okay to cut them off at the source, and it's okay to say, um, yes, I appreciate the API ecosystem, but here's our bare bones requirements. You can push back, you can enforce, you can alter, you can you can break an API if you need to. Um, there's There's a lot of capability there. Because at the end of the day, pass through to pass through to pass through, it does happen, especially in complex, you know, supply chain. Like, like literally, if you're in a manufacturing kind of business, I, I've seen this before, where it's a daisy chain of, you know, four guys back is still logging in with the same login to your stuff, and that's also the temptation to hard code credentials. It comes into that play, right? That's always a you know, big risk. Um, there's ways around it, and and part of it is sitting down with folks and setting expectations. Part of it is meeting with the entire ecosystem and agreeing we're not going to do this this way anymore. We're gonna we're gonna carve out two weeks and 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 code some new API here that's actually going to be based on more meaningful interactions. Uh, get yourself an HSM, get yourself a key vault. You know, there's a lot of other workarounds and solutions you can get into. Do you think we need to rethink the way we do API passwords and keys? Oh God, yeah. Um, vaults vaults is key, right? Like the fact that we're not even there yet. Like vaults exist and there's still tons of people that aren't using them. Like let's at least get to that point. Uh, let's quit storing the keys openly. Let's quit storing them in public areas. Let's quit storing any and all shared secrets. Let's get tools that actually scan for and look for that kind of thing in our ecosystem. There are vendors out there that that's all they do. Rip through your entire system looking for shared secrets, looking for secrets of any kind, looking for open secrets, I should say. Um, there's all kinds of stuff you can do there. Just rip through that and look for that stuff. Catalog it, get it on the top of your punch list and start going through it because, you know, people talk about like like Amazon gets picked on all the time. Like, oh, major right. Amazon breach, S3 buckets and blah, 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 blah. And nine times out of 10, it had nothing to do with Amazon. In fact, 99 times out of 100, it had nothing to do with Amazon. It had to do with that particular user and that consumer of that particular S3 bucket or whatever it was storing their crap somewhere open and it became accessible. When things are open for developers, they tend to become open for everybody because sooner right. or later, somebody flips a bit to make it easier to solve a problem. Now, you know, and, and you can you can sift through the Amazon world as an outsider and find stored secrets all over the place. Like it's just it's just it's common, yeah. bad yeah. practice. And there's vendors that will help you hunt that stuff down and eradicate it. So do that. Yeah. Um, Shiva says, get rid of self-attestations. <sighs> completely yes. agree. Shiva, yes. I think you've got a unanimous agreement on this one 
Well, e- except I'd like to point out that I'm trustworthy and you can do business with me. You know, so I love that. So, so you know, you know what was funny is um, watching the White House Tech Summit yesterday and kind of reading some of the notes and the takeaways. They talked about zero trust, mm-hmm. and it was you can tell that no one there understood what zero trust was because they were like, "Well, we in this room trust each other," and you're like, "That's really going against the entire model of zero trust." Yep. Zero right? trust is I love my dog, but if he's downstairs, I assume he's trying to steal food. Yep. That's zero trust. You're in the house. I'm watching you, buddy. (laughs) Much as I love you, my little guy. All all of my close circuit cameras are following every single move you make. Like you're going through a North Korean airport on a connection. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) You know, but, but when you look at kind of the, the discussion that's being had by chief executives on cyber, Mm -hmm. we kind of dismiss and, and we've pointed out a lot of the stuff that I thought was, you know, missing, but we can't ignore the progress. The fact that the White House, the president of the United States, right? We can, we're not going to talk about stuff that's going on in Afghanistan today. I know that's the, the last 24 hours have been hard for me. And, and I know many vets um, and, and I know many, many people, that's not the point. You know, we got to compliment POTUS and his team for taking cyber seriously. Yeah. Yeah. You know, put everything else aside for just a moment, yeah. compliment people when they do good. And this was a good summit. This was needed. Should have yep. been done years ago. Yep. Should have been done two presidents ago, right? But two of them decided to, to not address it in, in this sort of fashion or way. And and now we got one who's tackling it head on. And that's yeah. it's awesome. It's awesome. And yeah, all politics aside, you know, I'm I'm selfish, man. Um, cyber's super huge for me, obviously. Uh, and any president that's going to step up and do that, I'm, I'm going to applaud that effort. I may not applaud the president. I may not applaud everything else going on, but I am definitely going to applaud that no, effort, and I'm going to hone in on that effort and focus on that effort and and tout <laughs> the positiveness of that effort. And, that, yes, this was a huge and good thing. And, and was it a great start? No. Was it, to your point, were CISOs in the room? No. There were a lot of things that could have been done better? Absolutely. But the mere fact that this happened at that level with this much attention, this much publicity, the fact that we've already had executive orders on cyber come out, the fact that the government is being held accountable to new standards, the fact that business is being encouraged, which is at the executive order level, that's about all you can do. It's all steps in the right direction. It may not be complete. It may not be perfect. It may not have included all the right players, but, but, but by gum, it's a great start. It's, it's the precedent that we need in order to continue the conversation. Yep. Right? There's th- This summit is going to elevate CISOs because I'll tell you what happened. Every single CEO who went to that room yep. probably met with the, the CISO and his team mm-hmm. more than he's met with them throughout the entire year. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Just for that. Yep. Hey. Right? They didn't yeah. want to go to the White House empty-handed. I was in this thing. I'm going to this thing. Help me out. Right. Um, and out. I was in this thing. Help me understand. Right. Yep. So, so all of those things are very, very good for elevating security professionals for all of Absolutely. us. Absolutely. Absolutely. I've gotten calls yesterday. I'm sure you did as well, Alan, of people saying, hey, I'm reading stuff from this tech summit. What does this yep, mean? Yep. From people who yep. we know that aren't security people that yep, could yep. be, you know, CEOs or board members of other yep. companies who are looking at this and going, what should we do to rethink our investment in security? And think about that for a moment. We both got those calls from people who aren't cyber people. That tells you the degree of attention and the degree of focus that actually really truly took place there. Right. Folks that aren't cyber people are coming to me wanting to know about this thing they heard about. That's huge. 
That's yeah. huge. And it's, I'd rather have a conversation about that than answer the calls and questions I get after a successful ransomware attack, a massive right. one, like what colonial went through. Right. Right. Or a massive breach. Mm -hmm. Like that's just the call I prefer. Yep. Right? Like I prefer to talk about what POTUS did than, than anything else. I think there's, there's aspects to that. That White House text on me yesterday was a step in the right direction for security professionals, period. Yep. 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 <laughs> Switching my byline as we go through the show. Nick says, good morning. Uh, I, I am late, but better late than not at all. Indeed. Hey, th this is exactly what we were saying about this conference in, in D.C. Better late than not at all, right? Should have happened two presidents ago, but hey. Indeed. Just oh, there we go. Best definition of zero trust yet. Dog love. Exactly. Love my dog to death, but I'm watching him when he's in the kitchen. You know, we, we, I think we all have some sort of zero trust relationship with, with, with a lot of different things beyond security. It's just mm -hmm. get getting, you know, kind of simplifying it. Matt says, but in the same vein, these vendors need to take a more fail, um, closed posture. Don't set them up for failure. I.e., why should Microsoft even allow yeah. an insecure password? In the OS, why would a vendor by default not have MFA on, et cetera? That's a good point. That's a good point. He's, he's talking about my AWS analogy yeah. of, you know, hey, they're, you know, they're off the hook. And, and you're right. There's some secure defaults that we're not doing today that could be added to the mix. But honestly, there's an awful lot of them already in place that people violate. There's already an awful lot of uh, encouragement, if, if not even defaulting, that still gets overlooked and overrun. And then there's also stuff where the whole point is I'm giving you a thing to play with you know, best you can do is give some guidance and recommendation on the side, but the thing to play with is the thing to play with. It's nothing to start. So they're either creating good practice or not. Some of it falls under those buckets, but I think it's a fair point. I think there's stuff that the, that the you know, infrastructure is a, a service, platform is a service, software is a service. They could all be doing a little bit more for sure. So yes and no. So let me push back on this just a little bit. All right. All right. There's an aspect of where, yes, security should be enabled by the platform at one person at one level or another. But mm -hmm. then this goes against kind of the shared responsibility model. Mm. Right? Yeah. If, is, if it's delineated. Yeah. If it, like if you don't want to have MFA on, that's your prerogative. Right. Right. I shouldn't yep. enforce you because you've got the free will to decide and right. you've got to deal with right. the consequences. Those right. consequences don't impact me. It's a two way it's yeah. kind of like a two-way street. Yeah. Now, Google's doing something very interesting. So Google Cloud, they're kind of trying to do security by design. Mm -hmm. And so in their process, I'm seeing some stuff that I think is a little, like, it's a little questionable per se, meaning of how they're trying to implement security by design, essentially forcing you to do all these different things throughout the development process to really have a secure architecture and infrastructure. Now, in one way, that's magnificent right? Like, that's great. At least we're addressing software security at the base level of writing code. Mm -hmm. And another thing, what that could do is for a company that may not be able to hire the best talent for a startup that's really trying to push up, right. they may shy away from Google Cloud altogether because of the complexities and right. maybe the knowledge of those developers to be able to deal with, with it, those stuff in the middle. I was going the exact opposite direction with that. Hey, look, Google's taking care of my security crap for me. I'm going to sign on with them because I don't have enough money for my own security guy yet. Yeah, they're not really taking care of your own security. They're kind a of lot more of it, though. Right? A lot more right. of it than a some of these other of players, right? I mean, that's, yeah. that, that's, that's the whole point is they are pushing the envelope a little bit. They are insisting on stronger defaults. They are shoving some of it down your throat, and you have to go out of your way to undo what they give you, like like – 
you know, it's more. They're doing more. Yeah, I mean, like, so MFA to me is one of those. I just did a uh, webinar with Roger Grimes on hacking MFA. Mm -hmm. Right. And so we talked about proper deployment of MFA. But proper deployment of NFA, 70% of people still want to use hard tokens. Yeah. And that's just not realistic in today's world. Yeah, yeah. No, I had an episode of the Cyber Ranch. My buddy Durley Gutierrez came out, and we, we tore MFA apart. It's, it's worth a listen. It's, we, you know, at the end of the day, people say they're doing MFA, and at the end of the day, the second thing is still a shared secret. You know, like that's yeah. If, if you stop and analyze it from the furthest, it's the old something you have, something you know. It's like, well, here's two something I knows. That's not MFA. Right. It's not. So. Yeah. Um, Matt says, I disagree, James. We should at least raise the base level of crap by raising what is good. Well, yeah. I mean, you can recommend it. I don't know that you should enforce it because, again, I think this goes to the level of market availability. Right. If some different companies... Different com companies operate very differently from one place to another. And, and it's almost like we want to have security controls for – we want to have security controls that are embedded at the baseline, which is where we need to be, right? Security should be done at the foundation level. Yeah. And yeah. what Google is doing is the move in the right direction. I'm not dismissing that. But at the same time, what you end up doing is you end up isolating. So the people who don't want to do this are going to go somewhere offshoot altogether. Yeah. And that's yep. going to create more risk. Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking of I'm thinking of Linux. I'm thinking of the evolution of Linux over the years. And it's probably a bad example because admit it, nobody's using Linux who's not already savvy. Right. Like right. Linux is not the novices OS. But but ignore that piece of the, the of the analogy. Back in the day, you installed Linux. Here's your crap. Define your partition. Blast your crap on. You know, here's your packages. Blast them on. You know, and you're done. Right. Right. And now. Here's encrypted drive by default. Here's uh, IP tables by default. Here's, you know, they're, they're out of the box more and more with each year. Linux is enforcing and defaulting to security. You have the capability to say, nay, 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 I don't want that, a reverse out of it. But, but the default assumption is it's there. The not having it requires you to go out of your way. And Linux has progressively more and more and more over the years done this. Where by, by now, like go look at an Ubuntu install, there's, there's five or six different security defaults that are there that, yes, you can bypass them. Yes, you can work around them, but you're going out of your way to do so. If yeah, you so, just go click, 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 you're going to be way more secure than if you don't. So let's – I agree with that. Okay, there's an aspect to that to which I agree, and I'm not saying that we shouldn't have security by default anywhere. Yeah. Right? I don't want people to misunderstand that, but I think there's an, there's an issue with – how we enforce good controls on companies, right? Because who's to say that my control is a good control and what I recommend is the right thing for you. Mm -hmm. We know that security is a case-by-case -case basis. There's the foundational controls that we all put in place, but no, no two security programs are exactly alike. And so if we say the foundation is MFA, then yes, let's agree what's the right deployment of MFA. Right. right. We say that API creds should be X, let's make that standard, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. And, and so forth. But let's lay it out and make it very, very crystal clear yeah. based on yeah. what people are doing because people are still in hybrid environments. Like we yeah. talk about cloud a lot, but people are still – like to me, the biggest threat – you talked about AWS and we talked about Microsoft, Azure, and some of these databases. A lot of these weaknesses that have been, that we've seen, a lot of the, the, 
data leaks, right? Let's call them data leaks that we see is because people are employing like 300 DLP products because they don't have one that matches, they coincide, right? They don't really communicate well because you've got seven DLP products because you've got one for AWS and you've got one for Azure and you've got one for Google and you've got one for your on-prem. Yeah, I was about to say, don't forget on-prem. Right, and then you've you've got your endpoint protection, Yep. Right. So you've got your different EDR solutions with their own DLP. And then you've got yep. email yep. control DLP and they're all separate DLPs. And, and then there's Casby. Right. Casby brings right. in its DLP capabilities, too. And now, yeah, yeah, now you've got this massive layer and this massive mess on your hands. So, no, full full agreement. Um, I, I think tech stack consolidation is like well, like we're veering into tech stack consolidation. And I'm thinking of things like sassy. Right. You know, like like. Get off your separate CASB DLP and blah, 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 and VPN and blah, 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 blah. Get a SASE solution, layer it with EDR, have them both talk to the same SIM. Like, there's ways to tighten up that whole rodeo. Um, and and I, think, I, I think, you know, this is just one of the challenges in the industry that, that we're never going to, you know, not only are we fighting the deficit of problems that are there, but as we start to solve the problems, three years later, the way we solved them is now its own deficit, right? right. I mean... It's not just that cooler, newer things come out to replace things that are less cool and less new. It's not that simple. Sometimes what's coming out is solving a problem that was caused by what you deployed three years ago. You know, uh, we create these situations ourselves with some of the tech stack. So the, the 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 nonstop evolution of tech stack in our industry, in our field, the fact that you have to stay current and be constantly on the lookout for things. You know, first first cloud solved on prem, and then and then you know vendors had to come out to solve cloud security issues that that spring up that, that were unique to cloud. Like, yes, we dragged forward our on prem security issues into the cloud. That's that's its own conversation. I think we've been having up to this point. But then there's the fact that by being in the cloud, there's also unique new security challenges that we had to get still new tech to address. You know, it, it's a never ending chase, and and we're oftentimes by solving one problem causing next year's problem. Well, and. So let's talk about tech stack for a mm-hmm. little bit, because what I came out of the White House kind of tech summit was everyone talking about tech stacks, right? Yeah. Supply yeah. chain tech stacks. Those were the two big things. Ransomware wasn't as big because when was the last time a big company was held at ransomware? Fortune 100. Uh, Verizon and AT&T both just got popped, right? Or T-Mobile. T-Mobile and T-Mobile, AT&T. Well, T-Mobile, had a, T-Mobile didn't have a ransomware. I think T-Mobile had a data breach. I thought there was a ransom there, too. I thought. Maybe I'm wrong. I thought it was a data breach where the guy was saying, I won't put out the data unless you pay me like a million bucks or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, th- I thought it was the one-two punch of we've encrypted it and we're threatening to release. I thought it was the double whammy. I, I could be wrong there. But yeah. e- either way, once ransomware crossed that line to the, it's not just about getting your stuff back, pay us money, but now we're going to release it if you don't pay us money. Honestly, that secondary threat is bigger, I think, than the main threat because at some point, Okay, we lose X weeks or months of work because we had a lousy backup schema. Even in that scenario, you can get back to rights to some degree or another. But that sensitive data getting released variable, I think, is the more critical now on ransomware. And and to your point, there's even attacks where that's all that's taking place now because that that's you got somebody bent over a barrel way more on that one than you do on I'll I'll unencrypt your stuff if you pay me money, right? So I got to tell you where, where I'm at on this, because I, I think to me, this is, I don't want to say the most kind of misunderstood part of security. And maybe I'm, maybe I'm downplaying it, right? Maybe I'm wrong. Okay. okay. Could very well be that I'm wrong here. Can we just agree that everyone's data is already out there, that there's very little data that no one doesn't know at this point, right? Like, I mean, 
People make a big deal. Uh, 40 million customers' data has been exposed, including driver's license number and social yep. securities. Let me take you back seven breaches and tell you that it also happened yeah. there, right? I, yeah. At, at various well, points in my career, I kid you not, I've had an overlap of as many as three paid for by someone else, identity management, identity protection softwares. Like the breach occurred at some place I worked, and they're like, we'll give you two free years of identity protection. And then the breach occurs at this other place and they go, we'll give you a free year. And at one point I was three deep on paid for by someone else identity protection. So has my data gotten out the door? Yeah, quite a lot. Um, are there mitigating, you know, steps and compensating controls and all that? Yeah, heck yeah. All my credit's completely frozen. And, you know, there's other steps I take and do. But to some extent or another, it's scary the degree to which it's already out there. And I don't want anyone to think, because there's a high likelihood that some of that data has already made it out once or, or made it somewhere or maybe even twice or three times in my case, um, I don't want that to stop us from keeping it from happening again. Because out there is, is an ephemeral term. You know, if one bad guy in Nigeria scammed my, my stuff one time and another guy in Honduras got it another time and another guy in Canada got it another time, I'm just picking random nations as I go, um, that's not the same thing as it's out there, out there for the whole world, right? And so every time it goes out, more of the world gets it. And so I, I still think even, even if it's out there, we still have a, a duty and obligation and a, and a desire to keep it from getting more out there. You know what so, I mean? Like I'm trying to think of a good metaphor. Um, so I'll, I'll tell you this. Whenever I do the practitioner brief, Monday through Thursday, right? Mm -hmm. I don't like talking about data breaches. I get people that send me, well, why don't you talk about T-Mobile data breach? And I'm like, because honestly, unless I know the TTPs of how someone got in, Right. right. It's, uh, not unless, it's not news. It's it's yeah. it's clickbait. It's that's, someone that's, trying yeah. to sell you ads. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah, yeah. That's and, and, and that's that's a fair perspective. Right. Like here's the thing about data. Data's out there, and you know what? I can give you. I can probably go and give me ten million of those names, and I can get a bunch of volunteers to go do OSINT, and I guarantee you they'll match the same amount of information that's in that data breach as they would from an OSINT. Just yeah. just doing some just some basic OSINT. Yeah, yeah, fair, fair. Okay, that's a that's a fair comparison. But I guess I guess the the metaphor here's the metaphor. You're on the dance floor and your pants split, and everybody sees you in your in your tidy whities Uh huh. Versus you leave the club and go to a restaurant still in that condition. You know what I'm saying? Like it's bad enough everyone on the dance floor saw it, but you're gonna go home and put on different pants. You're not gonna keep going out and now go to a restaurant and go to an after hours bar and just keep the night rolling. You want to minimize that exposure, right? There's yeah, my metaphor of the day. <laughs> no, and, and and listen, you do, but at the same time, how real? Like, are we setting an unrealistic clause for security practitioners? Have we, in our own minds, right? Have we, in our own doings, kind of set ourselves up to doom? Because what we're saying is, we want to minimize this as much as possible. When it's the data's already out there, you can use data scraping techniques. I've seen, you know, in in, in some of the threat hunting I've done, you know, with some of our teams. Um, in, in my role as a CISO, yeah. we'll see how people will go in and they'll take uh, an old list of a data leak from yeah. six years yeah. ago. They'll yeah. do a little bit of OSINT on it. So they'll invest a little bit of time, update some of that data, and then try to sell it as brand new. Right. And you go and you buy that list in the dark web. And for those who don't know, that's pretty standard today for CISOs. We go out and we, someone is trying to sell our list. We'll buy some of it to see how old it is. So that way we know if there's something yeah. going on or, yeah. or not. Right. Yep. Um, and then you realize that six-year-old data that's been slightly renewed with data that we don't have to begin with because it doesn't exist. It's not data we collect. 
Right. But you realize it was like OSINT data yeah. or or, yeah. or data scraping, right? Yeah. Yeah. Using a scraper on social media. It, like and if the assumption is it's out, right? I mean, I'm gonna I'm gonna keep playing with my metaphor. That that means you should always have a backup pair of pants in your car, right? Like right. in other words, it's gonna get out, so have your MFA. Uh, it's going to get out. So have your password resets on a regular basis so that it is old. You know, it's going to get out. So da, 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 da. There's compensating controls all over the place. So I, I guess that's the point you're making is it's already out. It's going to be out. Don't focus on the not getting it out. Focus on the what happens once it's out. Is that, yeah. is that what I'm I hearing? Mean, I mean, what I would rather do is instead of focus on more DLP and more ways to stop data leak prevention, because guess what? There's There's controls that we can all put in, right? Can't save data on any device. Yeah, no USB and blah, blah, blah. Right? You can't do it on a USB. You can't save it on your drive, on your computer itself. It's got to be on one of our, you know, OneDrive or yeah. Google Drive or whatever the company right. manages. And, for, for. and you can't send a personal emails and right. blah, blah, blah. You, 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 can't, you can't send it to a personal email. You block those, right? You Like those are all rules where we can essentially identify the internal. Does it stop it? No. Could someone take his phone and take pictures of contacts? Of course. Yes. You know, I worked at Verizon in 2008 and this is a long time ago. Many of you won't remember it, but the first internal data breach was then back Mm -hmm. in the time, back in the day, a Verizon employee logged into uh, at the time candidate uh, Obama's uh, Verizon account and downloaded all his contact details. Oh, wow. Everyone he's texted and called and then leaked it to the media. Oh, wow. And I wasn't in the security team at the time at Verizon, but I'm like, really? I could get into like anyone's, uh, any politician's Verizon account. So I started looking up different politicians and I was like, oh, wow, I can get into Bill Clinton's Verizon account. Holy smokes, I can get into the head of the CIA's uh, Verizon account. I can get his entire, I'm like, who's sleeping at the wheel? Why does everyone have access to every Verizon account? Well, and there was a much more recent one where uh, I think it was Apple that an employee got into the nudie pictures of a celebrity and it was an actual yeah. insider job. Like, uh-huh. like this stuff still happens. I mean, we, we can do so much, right? Like I think Verizon learned it. And at that point, if you're going to access a high value Verizon account, you've got to have a reason for it. It's got to get two or three layers of approvals. Right, right, right. right? Like it's not just a... Uh, uh, I'm randomly trying to check, uh, you know, President Obama's Verizon account, right? As right, an right. example, right? So, so we've learned to put those controls in place, but we still can't stop inside. There's, I'm not saying it's a lost battle, but what I'm saying is that there's some stuff that's a little bit more difficult to stop completely. But we can put in the controls, and we should focus on the great, grander scheme of things, having good foundational security, right? Addressing, seeing uh, what's happening within the marketplace from a threat actor, targeting specific infrastructure and software, and beefing up those securities. Yep, it makes perfect sense. It makes perfect sense to me. Um, and and it and it all ties back to your original point of: Are we trying to prevent the going out the door, or are we trying to prevent the damage done when it goes out the door? Right? Because you know, I'm thinking of my wife's computer from her work. Um, she can't email anything to her personal account. She can't use USB. She can't install anything. She can't. She's as locked down as locked down can be. And to your point, I could walk by with a cell phone and look over her shoulder and snap a photo. And you know, who who can stop me from doing that? As not even the employee. You know, the husband of the employee. I could I could go rogue and snapshot her screen. Um, 
but at the end of the day, what what matters if that data gets out the door? Let's let's say it is some sensitive piece of information that I get a hold of and try to do something with. What is the business's preparedness against that? Right. That's that's more critical, I think. Well, we, we can't stop everything. So we have to, you know, we always assume breach. I think you and I speak the same language when we say when we talk to leadership, we're saying, look, there is a very strong possibility. There's data out there. We're trying to find it. We're trying to identify if it's recent. And if it is, we start to investigate. Mm-hmm. That's, mm-hmm. The, the, you know, we're going to, and we're going to, we put in compensating controls. Yep. But if we put all the controls in place, you can't do business. Because in my perfect yeah. world, yeah. right, you log into a VM, you do all your business on that VM. I 100% control that VM, right? You yep. can't get out of it. You can't do anything. No everything, control C, control V, like everything right. is locked up. Everything no data transfer. Up. No yeah. data transfer. You just see it. You work on it, you send it, you save it, you're done. Yep. That's and, not doable. And it destroys itself behind you, right? Right. It does the, uh, what is it? Who used to get um, the, uh, uh, the the self-destructing notes? There was Right, 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 right. Get smart. Yeah. <laughs> right? Like the self This message will self-destruct in five, in five four, three. Four. <laughs> <laughs> this data will now self-destruct itself right. in five. No, no, right. no. Yep, right? Yep, yep. Like, we have to understand we're business enablers. Yeah. And we can't lock everything down. And I think right. that's that's part of one of the challenges I see is, uh, you know, you speak to so many people and, and you know this, Alan. They're like, yeah, you know, I love it when I sit with, with a, we were at, I was at an event with a bunch of sisters a few weeks ago. And one of the guys on our table won't say who. Really funny guy, right? I love the guy to death. But he's sitting there and, you know, he's drinking his bourbon. He's got his arms folded like you and he goes i don't have any of those problems we've disabled everything (laughs) right i'm like you know every time we put in extra compensating controls someone finds a way around it we have really smart people in our companies really smart people of course that's hysterical yeah it's like um you know oh i've got a great data classification system i'm covered (laughs) you know Right. Okay. So every piece of data in your shop is is A classified and B classified appropriately. Okay. Sure. Um, yeah, I've I've heard that argument too. That you know, is no, it, we got an incredibly hard. strong data classification program. DLP is not an issue for me. Isn't that the hardest thing though? Is data classification? Uh, it's 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 one of the worst to even tackle. It, like it it. I question its utility at all because I recognize its futility. Right. It's, it is so difficult to try to get your arms around all your data. It is so difficult to force classification. It is so difficult to force correct classification. That is an incredible amount of effort, an incredible amount of time, resources, money, tools, tooling, all of the above. And I know all the tools. I've tried them all. Um, all of that effort, and you're still only going to maybe at best in a really disciplined shop nail 80 85%. Yeah. And to your point, if the breach is inevitable, that other 15 is out the door, man. So so why did we go through all of that effort when when we could be doing other things to contain a corral? I don't know if classification is is the way to go. I just uh, to me it's a it's it's a massive 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 amount of effort to get a, a B minus grade at the end on your efficacy, you know? I, I think you're being generous with your grading, sir. Um, <laughs> with any functionality, Aaron says, we have to reduce the risk as much as possible, stop the major attack, keep them minor. Yep. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I think the other aspect of, of what you just said with data classification is most data classification is designed 
to be determined by the user, meaning the owner of whatever that data is, the owner of the data. Mm-hmm. So owners of data often misclassify. Our good friend of ours, I think you know John Felker, right? Um, John used to run the um, um, MKIC for DHS before CISA was there, and then he ran the Fusion Center for CISA until he retired last year. And I had John on my podcast early on in my early days. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that John said was, stop marking everything you send us as top secret classified. Like, there's, I, there's the ones that are going to do that. And there's the ones that are going to do the polar opposite because they, they know right up front, oh, I'm going to be sharing this with Fred down the hall and Jane upstairs, and I'm just going to mark it as less classified than it needs to be. You get both. Right. But he was saying that they would get like, we saw an attempt to access our system this way. And they'll report it to the end kick, but it'll be top secret classified. And then the process to share it would take a week. Right, right. And by that time, there's been already five breaches. Right, 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 right. right. And, and that's data sharing from our end, from security to yeah. pri- public yeah. to private to public. Yeah. But think internal. How many yeah. times are our employees misquantified? Mis- 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 right, 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 data? right, right. Well, Com- you know, complicating the-, the process itself, right? The, the, right? the debug, investigation, et cetera, processes, root cause analysis, all that hampered by bad classification as well. That, yeah. This now it's a compound way, problem. This has two sides, right? We yeah. have people who yeah. overclassify. And then you're like, why is this overclassified? Right. right. We got to go adjust it and you got to train the person. Yep. yep. Right. You got to go give them or they underclassify. Well, it's 10 year old data. It doesn't matter. It still has SSNs and credit card numbers. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's 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 one really critical bit about some of this data is stuff that ceases to be useful to the business. Ten years later is still highly useful to the bad guys. Right. And as soon as it quits being useful to us, we tend to think it doesn't matter. And that's a huge cognitive leap to say just because it's no longer useful, it doesn't matter or it doesn't have impact because the loss of it, the compromise of it can certainly still have incredible orders of magnitude, even if you don't care. I mean, social security numbers don't expire, period. They don't, right? They never do. And and by the way, some credit card, some banks, just so you know, I've, I've, I've discovered this recently. Some banks don't really change your credit card number either when it expires. They just send you the same card number with a with different a new expiry date. date and a CVV. And mm-hmm. that's it. But they keep the same number in place. Yep. Yep. And the trick for me is to have my credit card compromised every eight months or so. So I'm always getting issued a new number. That's how I solve that problem. So- <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not kidding. <laughs> About every eight months, my bank issues me a new debit card. They, they, they're Bless their hearts, man. They are brilliant at spotting the fraud. They will contact me the second anything looks fishy. Shut it down on the spot. Work with me to say which ones were actually you, which ones weren't. Boom, boom, boom. Here's your new card. But I'm telling you, this happens every eight months. Yeah, that's insane. Um, to think that credit card data gets your credit card data per se mm-hmm. gets is out there every eight months or so. Yeah. Think of an average person who's not planned out, right? right. So think of like an elderly yeah. who has no VPN, no yeah. antivirus, yeah. Yep. who doesn't vet the shops, who sees something on his Facebook feed and goes, I'm going to buy this. Yeah. Right? It used to be the, the the phone channel, the shopping network. Yeah. Now it's just random ads on Facebook. Yep, yep, yep. It's crazy. But I uh, need those Chinese-made Japanese knives. I, I know. <laughs> I know. It's, Especially it's the black ones. <laughs> I get a bunch of knife. I get knife commercials like no one's business on I, my feed. I don't understand what the heck that's about. But, yeah, every five minutes someone's trying to hork poorly made Chinese knives at me. Under the name of quality Japanese knives, nonetheless. That's the best part. Yeah, well, you mean, 
Mike's laughing out loud, and I'll let you, buddy, laugh out loud as much as you possibly can because um, I'm happy we're able to entertain you. But, you know, we're almost at the end of the show. So I want to ask you, Alan, we kind of started talking. We kind of went all – we didn't go all over the place today. I'm kind of glad that we started with the White House Tech Summit. We kind of went down. We kind of really looked at everything they said. And then the bottom line is if you're going to strengthen the supply chain, if you're going to pledge to spend more in cyber, and all those organizations came out and said we're going to pledge X amount of dollars more, I think all of our organizations are now going to start looking at this and going – Maybe we should invest a little bit more in cyber. Yep. So if you're a CISO, start preparing, like read the notes, yep. find the reasoning why this CEO said, I plan to pledge $5 billion for cyber mm-hmm. and find mm-hmm. out what the reasoning is behind it because that's what you're going to need when you ask for more money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, leverage this. If, 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 if the leaders, quote unquote, are investing, um, then we can invest, right? Um, yeah. If the big players are investing and it's and it's a big deal and it's a public deal and it's got government and private sector alignment, right, which is another key piece because how often does that really occur? Um, leverage this. Leverage the heck out of this. Um, push push for more spend. Um, it's it's a good thing. It's a healthy thing. Indeed. Aaron says, well, data classification is a major challenge since many organizations, organizations don't know where their data is, physical, yep. logical, internal, or external, yep. and or don't know the value. Yep. I agree. Most people don't can't tell you where all their data sits. And, and unstructured and structured and all that mess. Yeah, it's, and that was that was what I was saying earlier. You can you can tell yourself you've classified everything. You're wrong, and then you can tell yourself you've properly classified it. And again, you're wrong. And now you can hinge an entire security strategy around those two wrong assumptions. Great, go for yeah. it. And you're basing your entire strategy off of wrong assumptions. That's why data driven defense is really really important. You got to base your decisions on data not on what you think you see. Investigate, investigate, investigate. We did CISO Thursdays yesterday, Alan, and we were talking about ageism, right? Where you see, right some, you know, where you see some people being very, very young and 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 others being, you know, where, where um, either you're too young and you're not qualified or you're too old and you're, you're overqualified, right, uh, um, for a position. And I said, we got to base, I base my hiring decisions based on data. Yep. Well, I hire someone based on pure data, and I think we ought to do the same with our security programs. Yeah, there's there's a lot of goofy assumptions out there. Yeah, a lot of goofy assumptions. Um, don't let them rule you. Indeed. What's one? Ta- Did you have any takeaways from the summit yesterday that you want to close with? You know, one simple message, and I think we've already covered it, but I want to say it again: is it's about damn time. It is about time. Um, this was overdue. This is a great first step. It's still not even what we need now, but it's a great first step. And anybody who wants to diss it, um, please don't, because, my God, at least the pendulum's swinging in the right direction now, right? Yeah. Like, like it may not be perfect. It may not be well executed. It may be lacking CISOs in the room. It may be lacking a ton of stuff. But at least the conversation is taking place at a level where it probably should be taking place. And at least the attention is being focused. It's public and private coming together. Um, Not a bad start. Not a bad start. If you want to fix it, get in there and help fix it. Um, But don't complain that it's happening because the the pendulum is swinging and pendulums, as we all know, have momentum. Um, Ride that pendulum. Be a, what is it, Miley Cyrus? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, with the uh, wrecking ball. You want to be on the wrecking ball? Seriously? Wow, I got just got Miley Cyrus's image on that thing. Woo, there's or, my metaphor, my second um, metaphor of the thanks day. Thanks for ruining I'm, my Shabbat. I, I am, really appreciate it. 
I am hitting him out of the park on metaphors today. You are hitting him out of the park with your metaphors. I will say, um, to kind of add to what you said, is if you're going to be, if you've, you know, take your mama's advice. If you've got nothing good to say, don't say it. Right. We needed this meeting. Um, Ann Newberger, Jen over at CISA, these are real advocates of private industry. These mm-hmm. ladies reach out to people all day long. They're not, they're not sitting in their um, offices getting advice from uh, their own teams. They're going out there and saying, here's what we're thinking. What do you need? How can we support you? What can we bring to the table? What more would you like to see? What would make your life easier? What would help you do things better? Those are the questions I've been in some of these calls, and that's been the attitude. The attitude hasn't been work going to do this and we're going to do this and we're going to do this. Mm-hmm. This administration for, for, for once, I think in a very long time has hired the right people at the right time to do the right job. When, yeah. especially when it comes, I don't care about anything else right now. Right. Purely on security. Um, for those who don't know, Ann Newberger, reach out to the uh, office and just introduce yourselves and offer help. They take it on in a minute. They That's really cool. do. That's right? really cool. And and Jen Easterly over the, the new head of CISA, unbelievable, really unbelievable. I saw her black hat talk. Um, I know that she's spoken to several colleagues. I've been on one calls of her, one industry call that she did um, that I got invited to. And it was just, she's phenomenal. That's good. Um, because she didn't talk. She listened. She asked a question and then she sat and she listened. Maybe in an hour conversation, I heard her speak for seven minutes. I'm like, did she speak at all? No, but she was listening to people. And I think that's the greatest quality is the quality of listening Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. she's gathering data. And this data that she gathers from us is going to shape the policy going forward. And we want smart people shaping that policy. So please, this is the right move. We could talk about all the... You know, everything that we've highlighted early on on the show, but man, I, I applaud POTUS and I applaud the White House staff and the CEOs and the systems and everyone who put in the time to really make that happen because yeah. it's about damn time. Yeah, that's exactly it. It's about damn time. That's my takeaway too. Indeed. Alan, the Cyber Ranch podcast, you guys should go and definitely check it out. Um, we, we had a fun episode a few weeks ago. Yeah, James was on my show and we had a blast. Um, go listen to that one if nothing else. The the show is basically one topic per show, one guest per show. Generally, sometimes I do a panel. Yeah. Um, and just pick a topic that interests you and dive in. And I would say start with James's. It was a good one. Yeah, we we took on sock too, and that's all I'm gonna say. Um, <laughs> we took it out in the alley and worked it over. <laughs> you know, we talked about the mob problem of sock twos, but. Go, go check it out. Also, uh, check out the CISO talk episode. That's my own. I'm going to have Alan on very, very soon. Uh, Alan and I are going to do an entire CISO talk long form episodes because Alan's episodes are really short. Like we started and we finished. Yep. 30, 30 minutes. Right. And, and mine are a little bit longer. So um, we'll have Alan on there as well. But we said that we're going to be doing these every third Friday, the third Friday of every month um, for, the, for the next few months. So that way, you know, we get to hang out and kind of get to take on your questions and, and the latest yep. of things that are going on. So, yep. um, you guys, make sure. one thing I appreciate about your show is this live feedback and questions from folks on LinkedIn. And this this is cool. This is good. I appreciate everybody for listening. Uh, thank you for asking good questions. Thank you for participating. All right, folks, that's it for us here. We got to sign off. Have a great weekend. See you later. Cheers. Be good. 
Make sure to subscribe to our podcast and share it with your friends and colleagues. And get all the latest information at cyberhubpodcast.com. 